If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts chapter 14. It's uh, page 535, I think it is, in the uh, Bible in the chair in front of you. It is so important to be opening your word as we come together, following along in your word. It keeps all of us accountable, even me. But it's also a good time. If it's not page 535 in that book, the big numbers are the chapters, and the little numbers are the verses, so hopefully it finds you where Acts is. But follow along with us, and as you turn there, what has happened so far? We saw in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas have been sent on their first missionary journey, commissioned by God, by the Holy Spirit, to go and do what they have been called to do. And they've been called to go and bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to all sorts of different types of people. Now we're at the end of that first missionary journey as Paul and Barnabas begin to head back. And they've just been reflecting upon all the things that God has done and how he has persevered them and preserved them through hardships as they walked through many, many, many hardships. And we continue to see how God's purpose and mission for his church and how he is faithful in all of that. So follow along with me and we'll be starting in Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. The word of the Lord says this. When they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconum and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, which with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Then they passed through Bithynia and from, uh, came to uh, Paph- Paphylia. And when they had spoken to the word of Pergia, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remembered no little time, and, sorry, and they remained no little time with the disciples. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Awesome God, we just thank you for today. As we get to gather together to worship you. And Lord, help us to remember that as your word is preached, this is still worship. That we listen as an act of worship. Just as much as I preach as an act of worship. So, Lord, I pray that you would use this sermon for your glory. And God, as I have said so many times before, I can't make this turn out well at all. So by your Spirit, will you make this turn out well? Lord, by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all, Lord. I pray that we would leave this place saying how great is our God. Bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses 21 to 23, we see empowered for mission, how God is preserving us in faith and how we are called to nurture the believers. In verse 21, when they had preached the gospel, and I think this is an ongoing theme. If you haven't caught it, this is kind of one of the themes throughout Acts. Everywhere the church goes, what do they do? They preach. 
And it's not just Paul and Barnabas. It's anywhere where the church goes, they preach. And they, as they preach, they make many disciples. And it's the same word that is used in Matthew 28, 19, which says to go and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples comes from the preaching of the gospel. You cannot make disciples without verbally saying the gospel, without declaring what God has done. If you don't actually declare what's done, you're just a nice person. And there's a lot of nicer people than you. So you have to declare the gospel. And that's what happens. But it doesn't just stop with that. It goes on with teaching and training, which goes beyond the evangelism of declaring the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas are being faithful to what Jesus commanded again in, in Matthew 28 and 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here we see a great example of this transition from evangelism to what we call discipleship. As a church is being built up as Paul and Barnabas begin to nurture the church. And as they go to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, this is the Antioch that Pastor Chris was preaching about not too long ago, there are, these are the cities that Paul and Barnabas had already been thrown out of. Okay? He was just stoned, attempted to be stoned, and chased out of all of these cities. And he's going back. Again, remember, we talked about this last week. How many of us would actually get back up and walk into the city that we were just stoned in? But they go back. And we were left with Paul and Barnabas shaking off the sand of their sandals in Antioch, showing that the people in Antioch, the Jews in Antioch, had rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They left Iconium because the Gentiles and the Jews were trying to stone them. And then Paul actually gets stoned in Lystra. Not exactly a place I would be keen on returning to. But Paul and Barnabas do. Why? Because we can't forget that God had been working in the hearts of many of those in the city. That as Paul and Barnabas and the others with them declared the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for the sins and rose again, God was giving people hearts that enabled them to believe and building up his church in these cities that they had gone through significant amounts of suffering in. May I say, probably more than any of us today. Even in the midst of Paul and Barnabas suffering for the sake of Jesus' name, God had continued to grow his kingdom, bringing people from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. But this is more than just trying to get as many baptisms as possible and as many as you can to the altar call. Because Jesus also commanded Paul and Barnabas and you and I to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's what they do. That's why they go back to these cities. To teach, to disciple, to mature, to make sure that these young saplings of a tree get their roots deep into God's words so that they could withstand the storms that will come. Not maybe, not kinda, will. The job of the church doesn't stop at preaching, but is continuing to walk with people, seeking to mature them in their walk with God. That's why we have a process as a church. You know, God saved you, 
praise God, get baptized. Take a class, learn about what that is. Got baptized, praise God. Become a member, take the class. Become a member, praise God. Join a small group and walk with people constantly, daily, every day. Mature, walk in Jesus Christ. This week I was reminded of uh, a story of one of our old Knollwood people. His name was Chris Seinsel. And the rippling effects of what God did through him, through people here. How they walked with him and sought to mature him as they opened the word of God together. He spoke fondly of his time here. Now he's old, <laughs> as I clearly told him. He's not much older than I am, but he's old. <laughs> but he looks back and he thinks about how the people walk with him. And you know what the ripple effects of that are? Church plants going all over BC. The importance of walking with people is important. And how do we do that disciple-making? We see an example right here in this text. Paul and Barnabas go back to the cities to encourage the people, and how they encourage them is very important because they're not going there and going, rah, 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 you got this. You know, they're not screaming at them and, and, and trying to say, you know, you're, you're so special. They actually kind of do the opposite because just imagine what happens, Okay. See what happens after evangelism as Paul and Barnabas make these disciples. Because in verse 22 to 23, we see that they go to strengthen the souls of the disciples. And I think it's important for us to see how they do it. Because it's not how I always do it. And I'm sure it's not how you always do it. Because we like to make people feel good all the time. The first thing that they do is they encourage them to continue in the faith. This was an important trip because the persecution made it difficult for new Christians to survive. And what's an amazing thing is how Paul and Barnabas don't say, hey, you're saved, you're good to go. But they tell the disciples that they're continuing, there's a continuing response on their part, continuing in the faith. And this is like the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 13, verse 13. And you will be hated by, for, uh, sorry, you'll be hated uh, by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a continuation that happens. You're not just saved and raw, you're good to go. Your ongoing walk is actually proof of your salvation. And for the new Christian, there's a lot of dangers out there that will be tempting them to go astray and to deny the faith. So this is a call to vigilance and faithfulness. They are calling these young believers to not give up on the means of grace. On what are those means? To be people of God's word, to be a people of prayer, and to gather together as the church and more. And Paul and Barnabas are encouraging this young church, these young Christians, to live faithfully as that is the sign of God's grace in their lives. So they say to them, keep going. Don't stop. Keep running the race well. Get those roots deep. Our roots of faith need to be deepened into God's word in order to withstand the storms of life. Because, as we will see, tribulations are expected. We need to walk with each other, reminding each other daily of the gospel. If it's needed, 
We need to get into each other's faces if we have to and remind each other of what God has done for us. We've been singing about it this whole time. God's faithfulness. Look what God has done. All of these things. There's a strong exhortation here that would also maybe include rebuke, but it's all about reminding the church of the past and present and future implications of the gospel in our lives. The gospel isn't just something you believe once. It's something I believe every day. And why is it so important? Because the second thing that they're encouraging them is that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That verse slaps us in the face if we grew up in the West. And if it doesn't, I don't know. You need to wake up. Because we don't like suffering. Like some of us have turned on our air conditioning already. (laughs) Not me, because I'm cheap. Our roots need to be deep in a faith that is rooted in God's word because we live in a world where we will face hardships. Notice that Paul doesn't say you might face uh, tribulations. He says through many tribulations, it's going to happen. Hardships are going to happen. We live in a sinful world. And some of us get shocked when things get hard. And Paul's telling the church at this time, expect it to happen expect it to happen. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, when Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, what does he say? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. One, one person put it this way, that the Christian life is cross-shaped. And I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 4, 6 to 12, where Paul says we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. J.I. Packer said it way better than I could ever do it, so I'm just going to say what he said. As he talks about the purpose of trials, as they are to overwhelm us with a sense of, of our own inadequacy to drive us to cling to him more closely. God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities to ensure that we learn to hold him fast. The reason why the Bible spends so much time of its time reiterating that God is a strong rock, a firm defense, a sure refuge and help for the weak is that God spends so much of his time bringing home to us that we are weak, both mentally and morally, and dare not trust ourselves to find or to follow the right road. God wants us to feel that our way through life is rough and perplexing so that we may learn, thankfully, to lean on him. Therefore, he takes steps to drive us out of our self-confidence, to trust him, to wait upon the Lord. In light of that, we do not despair. We are not without hope because God is the one on whom we have set our hope. There was a missionary named David Bernard, um, and he was sent on a number of missions during the 1700s, during the same time as Jonathan Edwards. And he was sent on missions to bring the gospel to the Native American tribes in North America. He was 23 years old. I was reading this and going, what have I done? 
And by the beginning of 1747, just four years in his ministry, he had already contracted tuberculosis. And he died shortly after that in the, at the end of, of the summer in Jonathan Edwards' home. He was only 29 years old. And Jonathan Edwards published his journal that played a big part in the lives of people like William Carey, Henry Martin, Jim Elliot, who served in places like India, Persia, and Ecuador. See, Paul and Barnabas remind the churches that our hope is based on the victorious king who has risen from the dead, and we have a living God, and the closer we walk with our king, the more the target we become. So we will suffer, and we will suffer just because we live in a fallen world where we have sickness, we have cancer, we have other things, COVID, and we will suffer. But this world is full of hardships of all kinds. But our hardships remind us of this thing, of our own weaknesses. But that they also tell us something else. They are a testimony to the fact that God can do and does use weak, sick, discouraged, beaten down, lonely, struggling Christians who cry out to him day and night to accomplish an amazing thing for his glory. So Paul reminds them that there will be hardships in this life, to not be surprised when they come, and that we have a certain hope that is found in a Savior that died for our sins but did not stay dead but rose again, and that whatever happens in this life is nothing in comparison to the glory that we will have when we are one day with him. So we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. He is our anchor. He is our hope, and we dig deep into that. And we remind each other every day of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. We see another way that they encourage them is this. They had appointed elders for them. See, there's a reality that the local church needs structure and organization. And it starts with this. You also can, how else can a church grow in their faith if, and walk through their hardships if there's not people there to nurture and encourage them to deepen their roots into God, to point them to that so that they can withstand the storms? See, elders are leaders who are called shepherds. This is the pattern that comes out of the Old Testament, and it goes all the way back. They are under shepherds of the good shepherd, who is Jesus Christ. They are to be men who show Christ-like character, like we see in 1 Timothy 3, in verse, verses 1 to 7, in Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. If you are a member, it is your duty here at this church to know these passages so that when you vote for these men, you know what you're voting for. Elders are men, and you may ask why. And ever so briefly, we can go back into the New Testament of male eldership. We could get to the concept of male headship and authority. We can look at the order creation. But does this mean that men and women have different value? And I'm going to say, please hear me say this, absolutely not. Men and women have equal value and dignity. The Bible is very clear. Galatians 3, Genesis 1, Proverbs 31, 1 Peter 3. But this doesn't mean that we don't have different roles and responsibilities that God has given us. 
We also serve in a plurality as elders. We see that in every sense in the church, there is a plurality. It talks about elders in the plural, not just one. And that's the biblical mandate, the biblical uh, the pattern that we see. So the God comes and he sends Paul and Barnabas to not encourage him in this last way of establishing men that meet the qualifications that he has set out who demonstrate Jesus' teaching and care for her members through the teaching and prayer. Training elders and appointing them to oversee the church is important so that the church can care for its own needs. So they come and they say, how else are they going to learn about who God is and how he has been faithful throughout history? They need people who will walk with them, who are established, who are exemplifying Christ, who can continuously point them back to Christ. I'm so thankful for the men of this church who meet those qualifications. For Keith and Dave and Dave and Peter who volunteer their time to shepherd this church along with Pastor Sam and Pastor Chris and Pastor Matt. So here's a question I came out, and this is kind of a side rabbit trail, okay? Because we're congregational, we're Baptist, right? Okay, so why does it say a point? That was the question I had, right? Why do we appoint if we are a congregational Baptist church who has membership and votes? It's the reason why we think membership's important. And your response is, good question, Pastor Nate. Let me get into this. There, thank you. That Greek word there actually does mean to appoint, but it can mean two different ways. And this is why we have people like our brothers and sisters who are Presbyterian who don't vote. It's also why we have us who are congregational who do, because there's two ways of looking at this. The Greek can mean to literally appoint, elders appointing elders, but it can also mean voting to appoint. You see? So this is why membership is so important within our church. We don't take it lightly. We seek to raise that bar as we seek to nominate men who meet the qualifications. As elders, we examine that man and we put him towards you as members. But the members have the decision that is decisive. So how can the church today uh, persevere through tribulations? Because it's not a matter of if it happens, it will. We need to be people of the word of God. How else can we get our roots deep into Christ if we aren't learning who he is? We need to be people in community and not just hanging out together, but in community that is surrounded by the word of God and in prayer. We need to be in those groups, like our men's groups and our women's groups and our small groups, leaning on one another for reminding each other the hope that we have, encouraging, comforting, and and, and helping each other during these challenging times. We need to be, have biblically qualified leaders. And we need to be people who remember our sure hope. We need to hold on to the hope and trust in God's providence, even in the midst of hard times, reminding each other of how God has been faithful throughout all history. Sometimes we get so like caught up into our own little 80 years on this planet, or 90, 100, whatever, we think that is like eternity. But God has always been faithful. And I look at his word from Genesis 
all the way through to the Old New Testament, and I see constant examples of his faithfulness. And I need to be reminded of that because I doubt. And if I'm the only one that doubts, then, well, then I'm special. <laughs> but I'm not. And if you're all looking at me going, oh, why does he doubt? I'm like, come on, look at yourself, guys. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And we need to be in God's community. So this is what Paul and Barnabas do as they seek to nurture the church through calling them to stand strong in the faith, remind them that they will face tribulations and to establish qualified men to shepherd and to lead the church. God calls the church to make disciples through preaching of the gospel and to stay strong in the faith that comes through believing the gospel and encouraging them through the trials that will come. And we need those types of people to walk with us. The gospel is not just a past thing. It affects the present and the future. And we need to constantly be reminded of it through each other and through qualified people as we face trials because it's going to happen. In verses 24 to 28, we see this, that we also need to celebrate God's faithfulness. And we do this by sharing testimonies of transformation. In verses 24 to 25, we see six months later, Paul and Barnabas head back to their home base of Antioch, continuing to preach as they, as they, as they go. This is something that reminded me of my grandfather. My grandfather is like 90 years old. Uh, he still teaches in his church. Uh, he's like the example of what I think a 90-year-old is. I look to that because I'm not anywhere close to that. Lord willing, I will. But I remember one day I was in the grocery store with him, and he's a Scotsman, so, you know. And uh, he was standing there in line, and I'm standing there kind of beside him, and we're kind of talking, and suddenly he just starts talking to the person in front of him. And he starts sharing the gospel to the person in front of him. Like, wherever he went, he was sharing the gospel. Everywhere. It was embarrassing. <laughs> but now as an older man a huge example to me of what I'm called to do and what we're all called to do. We don't need to pray for opportunities. We need to pray for boldness. And God comes and, and uses, continues to use Paul and Barnabas as they're going back to their home. They're still continuing to preach the gospel to wherever they go. And where they had been commanded by the grace of God for, to the work that they have fulfilled. What does it mean to be commended to the grace of God? See, Paul and Barnabas were entrusted or placed under the care and protection of God's grace as they carried out their mission. They understood that they needed God's favor and God's support and God's guidance throughout their journey for anything to happen. It was God's grace that enabled them and opened the doors for them to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It was God's grace that enabled them to walk through those hardships and those tribulations. No success was on their part. They purely put it in God's grace. And what was that work? 
the Holy Spirit already commissioned them back in Acts chapter 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Their work was to go and declare the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for the sins and that he rose again, that there is a holy God by who we have sinned against, we have rebelled against, we spat in the face of a holy God. And because of that, the only thing we deserve is hell. That's it. That's justice, by the way. That's justice. That's fair. But God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin, our spitting of his, in his face. He takes the punishment that we deserve. He dies the death that we deserve. And for three days, he was in the tomb. And he doesn't stay there, for he is risen from the dead. He is victorious over death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? It's gone. So that anyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ does not face the judgment of that sin. His righteousness has been imputed upon us. We stand before God with God looking at us through his son's perfect sacrifice for all those who repent and believe. God was gracious in, the, in his sustaining Paul and Barnabas through these hardships and working in the hearts of those who heard, and he continues to grow his church. And in verse 27, it says, and as they got into that church, into the town of, Ant sorry, into the city of Antioch, they gathered all the saints together in verse 27. And when they had arrived, they gathered to church together. And this is a report on their missionary work to the church that sent them. Missions is a central interest in the church. Central. So you may ask, why do we care about sending out missionaries around the world? Why do we care about planting churches here in London and around the world? Because there's a call to go. Because we are amazed by God's grace in our lives that we want other people to know that same grace. Because we have a healthy understanding of what hell is. And we want people to be saved from that. And it only comes through the proclamation of the gospel. Because our world is broken and hopeless. And we're praying about this today, right, in our pre-service prayer time. There was an article a few weeks ago about the happiest cities in London, or in, in on Canada. London's the bottom five. And I was like all like pessimistic, because I am. <laughs> but someone said to me the other, during that prayer time, and it hit me really hard, that means the field is ripe. Our city is so hopeless, and we have hope. Let us go declare that hope. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. You cannot walk downtown without your heart breaking. And if it doesn't break, I don't know who you are. See, this, this gospel calls us across the street and across the world. Missions is at the heart of Jesus' purpose for his church. And if we are in Christ, you have been called to go. And a couple of things. Notice they give a report to the whole church. They weren't people doing ministry outside of the visible church. 
they have an idea of responsibility to the local church. Missions outside of the local church doesn't, is not what God planned. Second thing is that they gathered the church together. And what does this mean? It means that missions was a priority for the entire church, not just those people that kind of like it. If you're a member of this church, missions is a priority for you. And this is what they did. They talked about what God, how God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles in verse 27. And I love this. Because who is the one who opened the doors? They begin with God, and there's not an account of what they did, only what God did. And it would have been very easy for them because they have some really cool stories. Hey, let me tell you about this time I got stoned and I got up and walked right back in. Notice that that's not in there. All they talk about was how God opened doors, about what God was doing, how God was working supernaturally and pouring out his, Holy, his Spirit on the labors of these men. And once again, you and I are reminded of something very important. Faith in Jesus comes as a result of God's gracious initiative in our lives. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas' preaching. It wasn't the music They didn't have music, by the way. But God was opening doors. The most important part of the story isn't that Paul and Barnabas, what Paul and Barnabas did, but what what God did through them as they did this amazing thing of preaching the gospel. And that's why we pray every week as a church that God would work in the hearts of those who hear the gospel. That's why we pray for those who uh, have been placed in our lives that you'd have the boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them this week. Maybe today. It's a beautiful day outside. Go outside. And I don't know if you've heard me pray this, and I hope you have. We pray that, Lord, help our witness to be faithful and effective. We pray faithful because God gives us the strength to be bold with the good news of Jesus Christ. It gives us boldness to, to walk across the streets, to even just maybe take your time getting those groceries out of your car so that you might be able to talk to your neighbor. And I'm saying this as an introvert, okay? To talk to your peer at school or at work but we also pray that God will make our witness effective because it is him that opens doors. Do you know what this means for you and for me? It means all I have to worry about is being faithful. And it's God who makes it effective. And even in the faithfulness, I'm praying that I would be faithful. So we pray, Lord, make our witness to be of this amazing good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. Help it to be faithful and effective. See, God uses the church as a means to do his work. He uses people to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the apostles', apostles work had been, would have been useless if God had not been working too. And I want you to see something very important. Even though God is sovereign in missions, even though it's God who takes this initiative, even though it's God who gives hearts that enable to believe, it does not stop the, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas' enthusiasm to evangelize and to preach. In fact, it fuels it. Because if I, let's be honest, if people's salvation was based on my ability to speak, we're in trouble. We're all in trouble but it's based upon God. 
working in their hearts. That frees us, doesn't it? It gives us hope, doesn't it? Of the people that are in our lives. Not only do they report only on what God did, but he reports on how God opened doors to the Gentiles and God continues to call people to himself. See, regardless of the suffering that Paul and Barnabas went through, God was using it to call people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Remember David Barnard, that young kid, as we may call him, who died at the age of 29 with tuberculosis? Here's an excerpt from his journal. I could have no freedom in the thoughts of any other circumstances or business in life. All my desire was the conversion of the heathen, and all my hope was in God. God does not suffer me to please or comfort myself with hopes of seeing friends, returning to my dear acquaintances, and enjoying worldly comforts. He's 29. So what does your hope do in the midst of your suffering? So what, you may ask. We have seen on this first journey the ripple effects of missions as we see God's faithfulness and the church's call. Missions is the concern for all people in the church as, it directly is added, as it's directly tied to the command of everybody who calls himself a Christian to go. See, the pattern we see in the early church is that as persecution grows, the church scatters. But as the church scatters, they remain faithful in preaching the gospel. It's like taking an ethanol fire and putting water on it. All it does is it spreads the fire. See, God ignites his mission and preserves us through the trials as we continue to disciple people and share all that God has done. This passage should fuel our purpose. This passage is about what we have all been called to do and to be. It's through this passage we see the importance of the missionary work, the significance of spreading the gospel and planting churches. We are reminded to persevere as we face hardships and challenges and struggles. And Paul and Barnabas encounter opposition and even persecution during this time. But the resilience and their determination in continuing to preach the gospel is something that should encourage us in Oldwood today. It reminds us to persist in our faith even when things are hard. It also reminds us of our call to strengthen and to nurture Paul and Barnabas invest time and effort in building up the local church they visited. This shows how important, how important discipleship is to the church. It reminds us to support and encourage one another, equipping fellow Christians to grow in their faith and become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. As I was out for a walk this morning, this thing seemed to hit me hard because something that's been on my heart is how some of us, some of our members, I'm going to look at you on mine, haven't been here. And I encourage you to be here. Because without the gathering of the church, you're just flapping in the wind. How do you hear of the reports of what God has been doing if you're not here? How do you see what God is doing if you're not here? How do you pray for those people who are members of this church if you don't know them? So come, I encourage you strongly, come. 
but we're also reminded to take a time to recognize the faithfulness of God, which means let's have a party every once in a while. Let's celebrate what God has done because he's doing great and marvelous things. You gotta be blind not to see that. London might be one of the saddest cities in Canada, but God is still working here. And we see that all the time. I'm reminded every time I come to church on Sunday of how God is working. And he encourages us to rely on his strength and wisdom and guidance as we fulfill our calling. As the hymn says, we can sing hallelujah because our hope springs eternal. Because Jesus is our hope in life and death. As another great song says, Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn, in the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall not be removed. Christ is sure and steady anchor while the tempest rages on, the temptation climbs the battle, and it seems the night has won. Deeper still then goes the anchor, though I justly stand accused. I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall not be removed. And we are reminded to take time to celebrate what God has been doing. And I encourage you, if you haven't thought about it, talk to Pastor Chris about joining a small group where people can walk with you, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, reminding you of all these things, because I hate to break it to you. Life is hard, and you need people. It's in this passage we're reminded of the ongoing need for missions work and the importance of perseverance in the face of challenges and the importance of walking with people and discipling. See, God ignites his mission and preserves us through trials as we continue to disciple people and share all that God has done. Let us pray.